0: Happy Monday, Liberty Kitty Cats and to the full-grown Lions of Liberty out there. And you know what the Libertarian Party needs more of? It needs more Lions of Liberty. It needs more passionate Libertarians who are willing to boldly roar about these ideas of liberty. So you know what? This is indeed a call to action to the Lions of Liberty out there. If you want to affect how the Libertarian message is presented politically in 2020, there's only one way to do so, and that is to get involved with the Libertarian Party. You can join the Libertarian Party through our affiliate link at lp.org slash lions of liberty the awesome part about that is not only do you get to be involved with the libertarian party and affect how that message comes out next year but you also get to support your favorite libertarian podcast at the same time what a win-win so head on over to lp.org slash lions of liberty or just click on the link conveniently located in today's show notes over at LionsOfliberty.com slash 425 Where's sure, your home? Huh? Hi, Liberty Cats, Welcome back to the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast. And as many of you know, last week was an election day. And while uh, I guess the big L libertarian candidates didn't achieve any huge victories in uh, the so-called major races, you know, they didn't become any governors or senators or anything like that. uh, They certainly did make an impact on the election. And one race in particular has come to the attention of many. And that being the race in Kentucky, where the Republican governor, Matt Matt Bevin lost to his Democratic opponent Andy Bashir and he did so by less than the margin that the libertarian candidate John Hicks, had gotten by less than the number of votes that he had received. So therefore, many are coming out, many Republicans are coming out and saying Libertarians spoiled the election. Even many, uh, you know, sort of Liberty Republicans uh, thought that Bevin should uh, remain as the governor as, a, as the better option and think that Libertarians might have spoiled the election. Uh, you hear this a lot. So, this really came at a, an interesting time because there's someone that I've been talking to about coming on the show over the last few months, and I think the situation that happened last week uh, it served as a really perfect opportunity to bring him on. Uh, So we're doing that right now. He is the executive director of the Center for Election Science, a nonpartisan nonprofit dedicated to studying and advocating for better voting methods. Very pleased to welcome Aaron Hamlin. Aaron, are you ready to roar? Absolutely. All right, man. And uh, we're going to get into things a little bit. We're going to get a little bit more into, uh, as I mentioned at the top there, the election that took place in Kentucky this past week and how it applies to the work you're doing at the Center for Election Science. But first, I want to get to know you a little bit better. And uh, so I'm kind of curious, how did you first get interested in politics overall? What what sort of made you catch the political bug?
1: Uh, I think, like a lot of people, I just have issues that I care about. And uh, the way I got interested in voting methods was seeing... Uh, friends of mine, while I was in graduate school, voting against their interest, it bothered me so much that I decided to figure out what the cause of it was, and I learned about voting methods, and have been obsessed ever since.
0: When you say voting against their own interests, what are are there any examples that that uh, you know can come to mind?
1: Yeah, so like the particular issue when I was in grad school, um, there was a healthcare reform issue that a lot of uh, my friends cared about, and I noticed that they were voting for people who were opposed to that healthcare reform. And so I was just kind of startled by that. Uh, and so um, I, I thought, well, if my friends aren't going to vote for the people that support that issue and they really care about that issue, then who is? And of course, like there are all kinds of issues when uh, people vote against their own interests and the actual issue doesn't get advanced, even though people actually care about it. So that whole thing was just alarming to me.
0: So was it more just like not as much a lack of people having information about issues, but the fact that then that information didn't necessarily lead to them taking actions that would you know logically lead from those views?
1: Yeah, the the, the latter. They were very well informed and were very vocal about like this particular issue. But uh, when it came time time to to vote, they were just like, ah, well, that uh, the people that actually think the way that I think, they're not going to win, so I'm not going to vote for them.
0: Gotcha. So you saw kind of the the voting method in a way as discouraging people from voting, making them think their voice doesn't matter. And if your voice doesn't matter, then why bother voting no matter how educated you might be on a certain issue?
1: Well, it was maybe even a little worse than that. I mean, they, uh, they weren't, uh, not voting. I mean, they, they were still voting. The issue was they were voting against their own interests. So they were, they were not only voting, they were voting and offering information that was contrary to what they actually thought uh, as a, like a super compromise and not, not actually supporting the, uh, the policies that they really uh, felt strongly about.
0: All right. So, what actually led to the Center for Election Science here? What where, I don't know how I know the executive director. Were you also the founder? And you know, what is the actual mission? And you know, what you guys t- try to do to, I guess, uh, you know, make people help people make better voting decisions.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, as an organization, we study and advance better voting methods. Uh, people who are elected to office they have a lot of responsibility. Uh, they have to decide how an enormous amount of money is spent, and they determine the policies that govern our day-to-day lives. So if it turned out to be that the way that we elected them was really bad uh, or it didn't allow us to actually uh, provide the information necessary to elect the people that reflect our interests, that would be a bad thing because that would ultimately mean that uh, our personal policies and issues that we care about aren't being addressed properly. And unfortunately, that's what's going on. So as an organization, uh, we look at better voting methods uh, we try to take a practical approach as well. Uh, and and getting those better voting methods, uh, being able to make sure that we're able to empower voters to be able to elect the people that actually represent them.
0: All right. Now, on, on the subject of these better voting methods, I know the one that you are are out there talking a lot about is specifically approval voting. And I, I want you to be able to describe that in a minute. But first, I want you to, uh, if you could address what is the problem with the current voting system that, you know, that we have in most cities, towns, federal, etc. What is the problem? Why Why can't we just leave it
1: as it is? Oh, it's it's so bad.
0: <laughs> and so. now you have three hours to answer. <laughs> <laughs> the uh,
1: uh, The current voting method that we have is a choose one voting method. It's called plurality voting or first past the post. It's called choose one voting method because it's more descriptive. And like on its surface, it sounds like, well, like, sure, we're electing one person. We should probably only get one vote. What's the big deal? But there's a lot of big deals. Uh, one is that, say, there are, are multiple people that you like on the uh, on the ballot, and uh, because you can only choose only one, uh, those candidates that are kind of similar, their vote divides. And by the mere fact that they have similar candidates, that means that some dissimilar candidate who can be terrible can wind up winning. Uh, so that's doesn't make any sense, and that leads to a bad outcome. Uh, also, like I mentioned before, uh, people are afraid of throwing their vote away, uh, even when there's a candidate running that has, like, policy issues that really speak to them if a voter looks at that candidate and says like you know what Uh, that candidate doesn't have a bunch of money and they don't have name recognition so I don't really think that they're going to be very viable Um, and so that what that does is that limits us to be able to hear their ideas and actually get a reflection of support um, that accurately represents them and the policies that they that they push forward Um, and right now like uh, good ideas are are marginalized or they don't enter the ring at all because uh, oftentimes as a candidate, even if you're bringing good ideas to the table, who wants to run a race when you're just constantly being marginalized the whole time? So we're missing out on good candidates as well. And then we get these polarized winners due to vote splitting around the middle. Um, So we can have more partisan winners compared to more consensus style winners. So those are three big issues with our current choose one method.
0: All right. Well, then on that note, how does approval voting, and you know, we could talk about a few different other voting methods too, but how does approval voting specifically uh, address those issues?
1: Sure. Well, let's start with the vote splitting one. Uh, if there are multiple candidates on your ballot, say like there were two or three people where you're like, well, wow, they really nail this uh, particular issue for me. Um, I really care about the way that they're handling education here. Uh, and they have similar policies here that I really care about. And so they're you can say, you're like, you know what? I don't have to split my vote. I'm going to vote for all three of these people. Uh, There's other folks on the ballot. Uh, they didn't really speak to me. I didn't really like what they were saying. And so you can vote for all those three people and you don't have to worry about vote splitting going on as a See, whole. You can box. vote
0: for as many candidates as
1: you want. That's right. Yeah. Under approval voting, take as many candidates as you want. Most votes wins. So you're not The idea limited. being
0: I, I give my approval to any of these. That's right. That, that's that's right. That
1: you determine from. what that threshold is for you. Uh, in terms of whether you approve someone or you don't approve them. Um, and when there are multiple candidates that you like you can support multiple candidates. Uh, so so that's the vote splitting issue. Uh, you can also one really nice thing about approval voting is you can always support your honest favorite no matter what And that sounds like an easy thing like most voting methods should be able to deal with that but our current choose one voting method, deals with it terribly. And many other alternative voting methods even have a hard time with that. And so what that means, when you can pick your honest favorite, say um, you were in the Kentucky election, say you were a John Hicks fan um, and you didn't want um, uh, Bashir to to win. You could could say like, you know what? Um, I want to support John Hicks, but I also don't want Bashir to win. Uh, Maybe I'll support uh, Matt Bevin, the Republican, and John Hicks a libertarian at the same time. Uh, and so there, what you can do is you can show your support for the libertarian while at the same time you can have a say in the outcome of the election.
0: It's almost like disapproval voting. It's like you're just you're leaving off anyone that you think is just completely unacceptable. And then I guess you're, you know, just kind of saying, All right, I can deal with any of these, even if I might have preferences sort of within that.
1: Yeah, that that's right. And the the big thing there too is. Even if, say, your favorite candidate, even if they don't wind up winning, it's important that they get that support um, because if they don't, what happens is they get they they get marginalized from the media, they miss out on debates, and the ideas that you really are supporting them for in the first place, they don't get heard. Like you want you want them to be able to influence the uh, uh, the feel of the election, and if they're not getting support, and if people feel like that candidate is just n- nobody likes them. Their ideas aren't going to get any traction, and that's the opposite of what you want.
0: Let's uh, since you brought it up here, and I did want to address it. Why, why don't we uh, kind of run this Bevan election, or I guess not election; it's still being contested uh, as of the recording of this show. Actually, um, he's still claiming he might, you know, have a possibility to win, but uh, we'll assume the results are as they stand. Uh, let's kind of run this through the approval voting grinder. How might how might this election have been different, and sort of, I guess, maybe? potentially pleased more sides like and while still helping third parties had they had an approval voting uh sort of method in place do you have any thoughts i mean obviously we don't know what the numbers would actually be but we can kind of have an idea if we assume you know x number of libertarians might have been might have preferred bevin to bashir possibly i I can't even say that's true about a guy uh who actually came out against some medical marijuana bills um you know I, i don't see why any libertarian should feel obligated to vote for him but that's that's maybe a rant for another day but maybe you could just do a little sort of uh you know Build us a picture of what this might have looked like with approval voting.
1: Yeah, that that does make it uh, challenging the the way that Matt Bevin stood on a number of issues and how he marginalized himself from the libertarians, which also kind of explains the the Kentucky Libertarian Party making their their post uh, talking about how uh, excited they were about. Um, uh Bevan's loss and right uh, taking joy over his tears or something. Is sure, which, which a it. lot of
0: people take as oh the Libertarian Party is just helping elect Democrats and socialists. And I, I just think there's so many problems with with looking at things that way. But particularly in a case where the Republican candidate was so strongly anti-libertarian on a number of very important issues, it seems extremely presumptuous to even to even make the leap that those libertarians in any any circumstance would vote for him.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and so here um the, the idea is you have John Hicks, he makes up the, uh, the margin of victory between um, Andy Bashir and Matt Bevin. And so, uh, but of course, we can't say that all of John Hicks' votes would have gone to uh, Matt Bevin had John Hicks not run. Uh, surely some of those libertarians uh, would vote for Bashir over Bevin. Uh, because of his views and also some of those libertarians may have said like, you know what, like I don't want to support either of these two. I'm going to save my time and, and stay home. Um, but if only, say, 60 percent of the people who voted for John Hicks actually went ahead and uh, voted for uh, Matt Bevin, um, that would have been enough for uh, Matt Bevin to win. Uh, so under approval voting, if uh, voters wanted to say in this election, they wanted to show uh, their support for Hicks, but also they didn't want Bashir to win. They could support both John Hicks and Bevan. Uh, but also it's uh, when, when we're looking at these things, it's a little bit tricky. So for one, uh, like you kind of mentioned before, we don't have a lot of data to work with. So this voting method that we use now is just like a choose one system, which is the least amount of information that we can get by with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that kind of puts us in a, a, a weird situation. And then there's also the idea that we're – We're looking at this right now and we're saying, okay, well, if like right at the last minute voters had had the option to choose more than one, what would have happened? And that's a bit of a different question than asking, okay, well, what if we rewinded? What if we rewinded back to the beginning of this election or even before it? Um, How would the election have played out? And the way that the election could have played out differently under approval voting is that John Hicks could have been able to get momentum uh, because uh, Matt Bevin, like was talking a lot about policy issues that was marginalizing a lot of libertarians. There, could have, there was a lot of opportunity there for Hicks to be able to gain support under polling. So like normally when you do polls, they ask you to choose just one candidate. But uh, if they're doing, say, approval voting to match the voting method, then you can pick all the candidates that you want. And under that circumstance, John Hicks could have gotten a lot more support and been able to grow from that and get his ideas heard under approval voting.
0: That's something i hadn't really thought of. i suppose yeah, if they change the voting method then it makes sense that and who's to say that all the media would actually do this if they're trying to maybe sway sway things in certain ways, but if they were being logical and fair, they would also have approval polling and have those exact same methods under which yeah, maybe a candidate like um, like John Hicks gets the 3% in one of those because people aren't afraid to say, "okay, yeah, that guy seems all right." And maybe that 3% gets him into, you know, gets him into 5% in another poll, and maybe suddenly he makes a debate. It could really change the game in so many ways. Outside of the simple you know the simple election itself,
1: yeah, and it's uh, really not uncommon to see vast differences in support with third parties when you're looking at approval voting versus a regular choose one method. It wouldn't surprise me at all if John Hicks was able to get say ten times more support um, at some point during the election, and at that point, like you can't kick somebody out of the debates when they're getting like twenty percent right.
0: Right. And I think nowadays, so many people vote on fear. I mean, we saw this in the reaction. So many Republicans, even many people who I I know as generally being pretty libertarian, were just upset with the Libertarian Party for, you know, quote unquote, helping the Democrats. But I think what that is, is just an expression of fear of the other side. As we see so much in politics, Uh, Republicans have so much fear of the other side that they will ultimately default to supporting candidates, even when they disagree with them on so many important issues, because they're just too afraid of that other side. And of course, the same thing goes the other way. Democrats might like a Things libertarians say or that Green Party candidates say, but they're so afraid of the the monsters on the other side, of the, and the Republicans, that they're always just going to vote for the Democrat. And uh, you know, it does seem, that this is at least one system. While maybe not completely changing the results of elections, can at least uh, help third parties at least get you know get a little more attention and eventually maybe even work their way into
1: debates. Yeah, absolutely. And I I tell you that there's nothing that am- that annoys me more when people are talking about marginalizing candidates or t- or trying to shame either candidates or voters from either voting the way that they actually feel or shaming candidates from running in the first place. Like, how, how do you have a functional democracy when you don't have a competitive marketplace of ideas within the election? If you're trying to shut that out, you're just asking for failure.
0: Yeah. I particularly cringe when I see libertarians do that kind of thing. libertarians who are supposed to be espousing a a philosophy of personal choice, personal freedom, and and all these wonderful things caving into those same ideas, the same ideas that so many of them rejected to get to this place in the, in the first place, rejecting uh, the duopoly, rejecting the Republicans and the Democrats and the entire paradigm as they have laid it out uh, of this false choice to see a lot of people defaulting to that. uh, It's a little disheartening. I shouldn't say a lot of people. I should actually say it's very few, but most libertarians, uh, uh, don't really take take the, the pleas and, and the plight of the two parties too very seriously. But eh, there's a few of them out there. Um, I, I guess I'm curious, you know, if this does see, seem to be something that will help third parties, because uh, I, I mean, I definitely see some ways as you've laid out that, that that's very possible in at least getting them some more attention. Uh, but even if it doesn't sort of uh, see libertarians elected, do you think that just the attention that these other parties could bring and, you know, libertarians are the third largest party, so you, you would stand to reason they would be at the top of, of the line of people who would be helped by this kind of of Thing, um, do you think that it can result in perhaps more libertarian policies that come out as a result of this from politicians that just ha- cannot just ignore this voting block anymore, uh, even if it's not libertarians themselves getting elected?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, one one of these the nice things about approval voting is like sometimes it can change the winner to someone that's a more of a consensus candidate, but also there are some elections when like the same winner would have happened, regardless of what the voting method uh, was. Probably not this particular election in Kentucky, but and sometimes you just kind of have these, uh, these uh, runaways. Um, but it's really important that when a candidate doesn't win, that they still get that accurate reflection of support. It's that accurate reflection of support that can uh, change the discussion. And absolutely, I mean, we, we've seen this in a number of elections where a candidate has a lot of support, people really rally behind that candidate. They don't have enough to win, but you see it in the debates like other candidates can co-opt these ideas. We see this in third party and third parties throughout history as well. Uh, a lot of these third parties they they bring new ideas and then they get co-opted those ideas get co-opted by major parties. Now, I'm sure as a third party like they would look at it and say like, "You know what? I would have rather won, but" that's a nice concession to actually get your policies adopted.
0: Hold your horses, kitty cats. I have to jump in here for one second and tell you about another great libertarian podcast. And this one is not your typical podcast. This one doesn't really focus so much on the ideas of liberty, but on music. And who doesn't love music in some form or another? I guess some people don't, but who really wants to know those people anyway? Let's be honest. Anyway, the show is aptly titled Sounds Like Liberty. Sounds Like Liberty is hosted by Liberty's favorite nerdy Husband Nick Pacone and his wife Lizzie. They speak to guests every single week to find out who has the best music taste here in Ancapistan. And uh, the Lions of Liberty have actually been on the show, at least a good number of us. Myself, uh, Brian McWilliams, and Howie Snowden have all been on Sounds Like Liberty. We're still waiting for the John Oderman episode, but uh, we're not actually sure if John listens to music because we already know he doesn't watch movies. So here's what I want you to do I want you to go ahead and go on over to Ancapmusic.com and check out Sounds Like Liberty or just search Sounds Like Liberty on your favorite podcatcher. That's all I do. I, I stick completely to the podcatchers, but Sounds Like Liberty is an excellent show and really does a great job of merging culture, music, and liberty together. I highly recommend this program. If that wasn't enough, the show is co-hosted by an African-American female ANCAP. I mean, what what more could you ask for? And by the way, Nick did tell me to say that in the ads. <laughs> do check out Sounds Like Liberty. Go to Music com right now to learn more. What about the criticism? I'm, I'm sure that you might have heard this, like, you know, if, the, if this kind of voting system gets into place, all that's going to change is those politicians might cater to the libertarians more. They might give them lip service. But once they get into the office, they're going to do the exact same things. They're not going to institute libertarian policies and nothing's really going to change.
1: Well, the, the nice thing about approval voting is that you can start to hold them accountable. So if you see that this particular candidate is like making these false promises, and this libertarian uh, that you're voting for is able to gain more and more support, it can get to the point where they're competitive. Uh, and it, uh, at, at that point, like you can um, uh, make that uh, libertarian uh, potentially beat out that, um, uh, that, say that Republican candidate in this instance. So, so if they, it gets to the point where it's say a tight three-way race and you've got a Republican, Democrat, and libertarian, and that Republican has demonstrated that they um, uh, are not going to be substantially different than the Democrat, you can support just that libertarian. So there are some cases when like you'd want to hedge your bets and vote for both the Republican and the libertarian. um, But in other cases, it doesn't make sense. Particularly if it was just say the Republican and libertarian were just kind of having a runaway and the Democrat was far behind. In that case, it might make even more sense to vote for just the libertarian. Uh, But When you choose one or more than one can vary a lot depending on the election dynamic.
0: All right, well, if there are ways that approval voting can uh, help third parties, as, as you've laid out here, the question then becomes, you know, why should Republicans and Democrats support this? So what's the motivation for people that hold mainstream views? I mean, obviously, this is a, a libertarian uh, program. Most of our audience is pretty libertarian. But, you know, we also get some people coming in here who are just kind of curious who are just checking things out. So what would you say to someone who isn't necessarily a libertarian and, and might not even th- support third parties? Maybe they just traditionally support a Republican or a Democrat. Why should they care about a system like this, a system that, man, Maybe it's working for them. Maybe they vote for Republicans. They get Republicans. Everything's working great.
1: Yeah. So, uh, are from the Republican Democrat standpoint, uh, one thing to keep in mind is there are more independents than Republican than people, there are more people that identify as independent than identify as a Republican or Democrat. Uh-huh. So it's important to note that they're not necessarily in the, uh, in the majority here. Um, and then secondly, uh, when we're looking say like within a party, sometimes parties themselves don't nominate a very good candidate. Uh, I mean, we've seen examples of that in the past where the candidate that gets nominated, uh, people aren't very happy with them. And one big reason for that is they use a bad voting method for their primaries too. So if, say, you're a diehard Republican or a diehard Democrat, in the primaries at least, it's important for you to use a decent voting method so that you at least are able to Uh, nominate someone that's representative of your party. Um, And when uh, so that's that's one point of view from someone who's just a diehard Republican or a diehard Democrat. Um, But then when we're thinking about, okay, well, there's kind of a conflict of interest here with someone not wanting to change the voting method. And one way that we deal with that uh, at the Center for Election Science is that we don't directly ask people who are elected. We tend to run ballot initiatives and work with local people on the ground. And we ask the people uh, how uh, they want to be empowered and not the people who are elected.
0: I'm curious, are there any real examples of approval voting being put into action? Like, is there anything we can actually look at and then see, oh, this is actually is what happened?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, in 2018, uh, there was a crazy election in Fargo, North Dakota, The winner won was something like under 20% of the vote. Uh, It was a five-way race for the commission. And the uh, commission itself, they decided, okay, well, that was embarrassing, that election. And so they created a task force. And one of the people on the task force had reached out to us and convinced the rest of the task force to get on board with approval voting. And while the commission itself stopped listening to the task force, which perhaps a big surprise there, uh, They, this particular person on the uh, task force uh, by the name of Jed Limke, he had gone and decided to go ahead and put this on the ballot himself by gathering all the signatures and getting all the people that he knew out there. And it got on the ballot. And then he worked with us. He uh, uh, put together a local organization called Reform Fargo and uh, ran the initiative. And the initiative passed with 63.5%. Making Fargo, North Dakota, the first city in the U.S. ever to implement approval voting, and it'll go into effect um, for the first election in 2020.
0: All right, so that's one. And were you guys involved, you know, heavily with that effort? I imagine.
1: Oh yes, yeah. Uh, they did the advocacy campaign, and then we did the education campaign. And of course, uh, like there, we we're showing proof of concept, showing like the the power that this can uh, show for voters by changing the voting method to approval voting and obviously we're not stopping there. And so since then, uh, we've started to work with folks on the ground in the city of St. Louis, Missouri. And there right now, we're working um, uh, with them and uh, on the ground there, they're uh, gathering signatures to get it on the ballot. Uh, It looks like they will uh, be able to do that. Um, And then we also ran a poll uh, to see how approval voting would fare. And 70% of the people uh, indicated that they would likely support the measure. Uh, So already out of the gate, uh, we've got a lot of support for this. And St. Louis is a city of over 300,000 people. Wow, that's impressive.
0: Uh, Aaron, I'm kind of curious, you know, you I know you're a, you're a nonpartisan organization, uh, you, you, you don't suggest approval voting to favor one specific party or anything. But as far as your own political
1: views go, do you
0: kind of keep that stuff close to the hip? Uh, you know, maybe especially because of your, your role with this organization? Or is that something you put out there at all? <laughs>
1: I tend to keep it pretty close to the hip, which I'm pretty proud of. So a lot of times, for I'll, all we
0: know, we could be talking to a communist right now. I'm just yeah, saying, it's have possible. no idea. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, so like a lot of times, like I'll like have a conversation with like a uh, say like an Uber driver or, or someone because I uh-huh. find up traveling a lot, and uh, inevitably like uh, voting uh, methods come up, uh, and uh, by the end of the conversation, like I'm listening to a lot of their. Uh, ideas in terms of their ideology things that they want to see happen and I'm talking about how this uh, how approval voting can help empower them and uh, get them more of the outcomes that they want to see and see uh, the types of elections that they want to see and by the end of all that um, it can seem like I'm really rallying them on and I talk with people all across the spectrum in terms of ideology and it tends to be at the end of the conversation they have no idea like what my personal ideology is despite being able to kind of rally them on during the conversation it's quite a
0: tight tightrope to walk i got to
1: imagine but you managed to do it.
0: Uh, one more thing I want to toss out to you, Aaron. Uh, I think you know most of the time, I imagine your, your audience that you're talking to are people that are already interested in politics, people that already vote, people that are already participate in elections. Uh, you know, There's there's certain sections of this audience, undoubtedly, and, and certain sections of libertarians that are very much anti-voting in general. Uh, they just see any participation in the election process as immoral or, or what have you. So I'm just kind of curious if you want to take a stab at, at bringing a message to the non-voters out there, to the people that typically reject um you know reject voting reject elections people that might even see the, the title of this podcast and roll their eyes but thankfully they still got to this point in the show and are, and are still listening along because because they like me or whatever uh what would you say to people like that and perhaps uh, you can work in a, a pitch at why if we had approval voting they might not look at elections in exactly the same way
1: sure sure i'd love to uh so right now i mean often like we don't get our perfect candidate like i've uh seen and voted in like Tons of elections, just like everyone else. And very rarely are we like, oh, yeah, this is the person. They are like a perfect mirror image of the uh, type of policies that I want to see. Like, they're going to be great. So happy to support them. Uh, So while we don't get that, there are often candidates that really speak to our ideas overall, even if not perfectly. And. When, when we're looking at elections and we're looking at polls, people pay attention to those. It, it, uh, they're consequential in terms of, like one, they get people elected, and then also it determines how much people talk about these ideas. And libertarians, they obviously want a lot of libertarian ideas to get out there and to be part of the discussion. But if you aren't voting, it becomes really easy to marginalize those libertarians when they hardly get any support. It's those votes, and like, I'm, I'm not one of those people that says, uh, if you vote a certain way, you're, you're wasting your vote. I, I'm kind of one of those oddballs, too, that tends to vote, honestly. And, uh, and so if, if the alternative is not voting at all, like, you've got nothing to lose by going ahead and supporting the candidate that really uh, speaks to you. Um, and so, but if you don't do that, those ideas don't get out there. And if you're adding approval voting on top of that, well, there are a lot of Republicans and Democrats that if they see a libertarian on the ballot too, and they say like, you know what, like um, maybe I still prefer the Republican or Democrat, but that libertarian, they've got some ideas that really speak to me. Um, And these are ideas that my personal candidate with the Democratic party or the Republican party is not doing a very good job addressing. And so they can support that libertarian too. And now you who would otherwise not vote, like you get to add your vote on there. And then plus on top of that, you get all these other votes uh, from people who would um, otherwise just vote for the Republican or just vote for the Democrat or maybe um, uh fear from uh, voting for the Libertarian in the first place.
0: All right, non-voters, there's your pitch. There's your challenge. <laughs> Why you should maybe maybe at least consider a little more participation in that way. Uh, but Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, you know sharing the work you guys are doing at the Center for Election Science. Uh, this is the part where I let you plug away and let, let us know how we can find out more about your work and uh, how people can do any uh, you know more deep dives and learn more about approval voting.
1: Excellent. So you should absolutely go to our website at electionscience.com dot org uh, electionscience.org you can find all kinds of great stuff uh, to get involved with what we're doing uh, I encourage you to first sign up to our mailing list you know learn all about uh, very fun elections and seeing how uh, it could change with a different voting method you can see our progress right now with innate with uh, empowering voters to use approval voting uh, and so by uh, joining up for our newsletter you can see all that Uh, You can also sign up as a volunteer or if you want to start a chapter uh, in your local city uh, to try to push for approval voting. Um, And so you can do that. I would also encourage you to advance approval voting within the Libertarian Party. Uh, That's a very easy win for you to go ahead and uh, make sure that you're nominating strong candidates by using approval voting and also making it part of your platform to make sure that you as a party are getting that reflection support that, that you deserve. Um, And then as a nonprofit, the way that we are able to get things done is by people who donate. So if you liked what you've heard here and you like being empowered and being able to have your candidate get that accurate reflection of support, I would encourage you to invest in a better voting method by supporting approval voting and donating to our organization at the Center for Election Science.
0: All right. Well, Aaron Hamlin of the Center for Election Science, thank you so much for joining the show today. Keep up the great work. Keep on roaring. Thank you. (laughs) All right, kitty cats. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Aaron Hamlin of the Center for Election science. Again, uh, this was a a very appropriate week to be talking about voting methods and uh, how different voting methods can produce different results, perhaps even more libertarian results. Now, many of you might not be fans of voting. I'm not really a fan of voting, to be honest. I wish we didn't have to do it. But it's something that exists. It's something that goes on. And uh, it's something that is affecting the political conversation. Uh, So any way we can inject libertarian ideas into that conversation or even into the result of that process, I'm at least uh, I'm I'm into exploring. Let's put it that way. I'm not going to tell you what to think or what to do. I'm just going to give you the information and spread it out there and keep this conversation going. Of course, I do that every single Monday here on the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast. While my compatriots in liberty. Take up the reins the rest of the week. Brian hits you hard every single Wednesday with his uproarious, jovial, fun-filled look at comedy, culture, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land, while John continues to kill it and crush it every single Friday with his hard-hitting and inspiring look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. John, again, just very recently passed 200 episodes. <coughs> Job well done, my friend, bringing the spotlight on to the injustices of this broken criminal justice system. If you enjoy our show, click subscribe. You get all three shows for free. It's a great deal. Three shows, the price of one, the price is free. But if you want the price to be more, that's okay too. You can support us on Patreon. This show is entirely listener funded. You can go over to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. There are so many tiers. There is a tier for everybody. There is a $2 tier. If you just want to dip your toe in the water, toss us a couple bucks, get in our private Facebook group. There's a to a $100 tier. If you want to get an advertisement on this show, along with a bunch of free merchandise, Uh, that's what Nick Picone is doing. That's why you hear my little plug for Sounds Like Liberty, which is a great podcast. I'm not even doing the ad read right now. I'm telling you the truth. It's a really fun show. If you like music and you like Liberty, check out Sounds Like Liberty. One more thing I want to mention. This past weekend, I dropped sort of a bonus episode. Uh, It was a discussion I had with Jeff Cantor, who is the co-founder of Health Excellence Plus. They are our longest time sponsor, and um, we have partnered with them to try to bring you guys an alternative, a free market alternative to your standard health insurance, your standard corporate crony capitalist health insurance. There are indeed free market alternatives out there. Uh, this one happens to utilize health sharing and a number of other methods to really help you find the best healthcare, healthcare at the best prices, save you a bunch of money while setting a free market example. It really does not get better than that. So do click back in your podcast feed, check out that conversation I had with Jeff, or you can head over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. Health, where I've got all the information over there, including that interview. So be sure to check that out. And until next week, I can already tell you who next week's guest is because I had to bump her. I bumped her because of this uh, the situation with the Kentucky election and really wanting to use that opportunity to discuss it when it's topical. Uh, but I am going to have the great Monica Perez on next week from the Monica Perez show. A lot of you are familiar with her. Uh, a lot of you reached out and told me to have her on. So you roar, I listen, we roar back. That's how this works. So we'll see you next week with Monica. Perez. And until next time, kids, live long and live free.